Good morning. China faces a new era in battling COVID as tensions with the United States rise. New York opens its first licensed cannabis dispensary. The news takes an in-depth look and a neighborhood unites to keep a community center. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durianzo with the news for Friday morning, December 30th, 2022. On Wednesday, the United States announced new COVID-19 testing requirements for all travelers from China because of a surge of infections following the rollback of the nation's strict antivirus controls. The new U.S. requirements, which start January 5th, apply to travelers regardless of their nationality and vaccination status. The Centers for Disease Control say the move was prompted by what they claim is a lack of transparency in China, including genomic sequencing on the viral strains circulating in the country. Meanwhile, China says it'll resume issuing passports for tourism in another big step away from antivirus controls that isolated the country for almost three years, coming on the eve of China's Lunar New Year holiday. Nevertheless, the World Health Organization says China is following a rational approach to the disease. Dr. Mike Ryan of WHO says there are limits to public health measures when it comes to the highly contagious Omicron variant of the disease, and it's time for the country to step up vaccinations. I don't think there was a switch-off and that that switch-off has caused this rise in transmission. This is one of the most the single most transmissible variant we've ever seen is Omicron. We have a vulnerable population and the virus was going to spread in this way around the country. It's not fair to say that uh, China has lifted all its restrictions. I think there are many public health measures still being applied. But what they have lifted, I believe, were the more stringent of those requirements that were really putting pressure on people in their normal lives, in their normal pursuit of life and livelihood. But in this regard, the force of infection now within the community is very high, and the, really the answer to this is vaccination. And I would also um, uh, appeal to people in China, anywhere in the world, if you are sick and you think you have COVID, please stay at home. Don't be the next cause of the next case. So if people who are sick with respiratory symptoms in China and you're sick, please stay home. If you need health care, seek that health care. Uh, seek that healthcare early. But for the vast majority of people, this is a very mild infection. This is something that passes. Uh, and by, by a healthy person being able to stay at home and manage their own case, their own disease, may allow a more vulnerable person to ease, more easily access critical healthcare when they need it. Health experts and economists expect the ruling Communist Party to keep limits on travel into China until at least mid-2023, when it carries out a campaign to vaccinate millions of elderly people. And in Ukraine, residents of the capital, Kyiv, were urged to head to air raid shelters early Friday as sirens wailed across the city. It comes a day after Russia carried out the biggest aerial assault since the war began in February. About 90% of the western Ukrainian city of Lviv was without electricity, and the mayor says trams and trolleybuses weren't working and residents might experience water interruptions. In the rocky road towards peace talks, Russian Foreign Ministry spokeswoman Maria Zakharova dismissed proposals for a summit at the United Nations as delirious and hollow and a publicity stunt. A 10-point peace plan from Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, presented at a November summit in Bali, includes full restoration of Ukraine's territory, withdrawal of Russian troops, the release of all prisoners, a tribunal for those responsible for the aggression, and security guarantees for Ukraine. 
And in the United States, avoiding a government shutdown that could have happened today, President Joe Biden signed a $1.7 trillion spending bill yesterday, keeping the federal government operating through the end of the federal budget year in September 2023 and providing tens of billions of dollars in new aid to Ukraine for its fight against the Russian military. The Democratic-controlled House passed the bill 225 to 201, mostly along party lines, just before Christmas. The House vote came a day after the Senate, also led by Democrats, voted 68 to 29 to pass the bill with significantly more Republican support. House GOP minority leader and candidate for speaker next month, Kevin McCarthy, was critical of the spending bill, warning Republicans won't write a blank check for Ukraine in the future. The measure also contains a bipartisan overhaul of the Electoral Count Act, a direct response to then-President Donald Trump's efforts to persuade Republican lawmakers and then-Vice President Mike Pence to object to the certification of Biden's victory on January 6, 2021, the day of the Trump-inspired insurrection at the Capitol. And a Michigan federal judge sentenced a man convicted of plotting to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer to nearly 20 years in prison Wednesday. Prosecutors charged Barry Croft Jr. was part of a plan to kidnap the Democratic governor from her summer home in 2020 and practice detonating explosives in preparation. Prosecutors had asked the judge to sentence Croft to life in prison, but the judge said he was giving Croft a chance to reform. You're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul Durienzo. In local news, hundreds of New Yorkers lined up around the block to score Thursday at 4.20 p.m. as Housing Works Cannabis Company, located at 750 Broadway in Manhattan's East Village, opened to the public. But the first sale had been made at a news conference earlier in the day as Chris Alexander, executive director of the Office of Cannabis Management, purchased a gaily illustrated bag of cannabis-infused gummies. Alexander brushed away a tear and spoke emotionally about the promise of a new legal cannabis industry for New Yorkers. It is extremely important that the first dispensary is not a major corporate operator. It is run by a wonderful nonprofit, a mission-driven nonprofit, Housing Works. So the revenue generated here is going to support their work for homeless New Yorkers, for formerly incarcerated New Yorkers, for people living with HIV. That is equity. That's what this first site represents. And we know that there are some other places that people could purchase this product. We won't get into that. But when you buy here, you know the product has been regulated, that it is safe. You're going to be buying brands that are led by New Yorkers of color and marginalized communities here in this store. You're going to be served by a workforce that is unionized. These are going to be good jobs with good pay and decent benefits. This is empowerment for our community and our city. Chris Alexander is executive director of the Office of Cannabis Management, a state agency set up by the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act, legalizing pot possession and setting up the framework for licensing weed shops across the state. The aim is to set up an industry that may inject billions into state tax coffers while employing tens of thousands of well-paid workers and aiming the new funds at the very communities, black, brown, and poor, most impacted by the war on drugs. The first license, a shop near Astor Place in the cannabis-infused East Village, is run by Housing Works, an AIDS organization that's become a major proponent of harm reduction in its approach to drugs. Its CEO is Charles King. 
We intend to use the proceeds from hopefully what will not just be one retail outlet, but more than one, to ameliorate circumstances for other people who have been incarcerated due to possession and sale of drugs, as well as taking on overall the war on drugs. We believe in safe supply. We believe in full decriminalization. We believe that people ought to be able be allowed to live their lives whole. Housing Works CEO, Charles King. Cannabis, considered a less stigmatizing name for the evil weed, also known as marijuana, grass, weed, kind, Mary Jane, muggles, and countless other names, is legal for recreational use in 21 states. Others have provisions for marijuana as a medical treatment. The measures legalizing dank have mostly escaped America's decline into partisan rancor the past five years. Legalization is almost as popular in red states as blue. The phenomenon was on display at the Broadway dispensary. A former drug warrior, Curtis Sliwa, founder of the subway vigilante Guardian Angels, reminisced with this reporter about our epic arguments at a time when your dealer was hanging in a back alley, not a Tony storefront in the village. Oh, I used to go to war against you guys. Who won in the end? No, you guys won. Uh, and in fact, you not only won, you've beaten the state with the legal licensing of legal weed because you've done it so long and so well. You deliver, you give credit, you have better grades, you've imported from California, which they can't do, and there's no taxes. And when we talk of capitalism, there's no better capitalism because now you have all this competition in the street, which is good for everybody. But what about the ethical morally? Because back then we used to, you'd say it was unethical, unmoral for us. Well, remember, I was brought up on reefer madness. Sergeant Joe Friday, right? One Adam, 12, right? I love that show, too. I exactly. Remember so Sergeant Joe Friday? Your kid will be vomiting on the street. The next thing you know, they'll be shooting heroin. It had the opposite effect on me when I saw it. It, it seemed so ridiculous compared to what I saw. In well, that's because you smoked a joint first and you were laughing your ass off while you were watching Sergeant Joe Friday and his partner. <laughs> Guardian Angels founder Curtis Sliwa. Meanwhile, hundreds of wannabe stoners lined up around an entire city block, many sparking up their own blunts as they waited. One of the things that I like about dispensaries is that you can have a proven track record of where it comes from. So, for example, if you get it from a guy, they might put like Grala in it or you might be really unlucky, get a little fentanyl in it. But if you just buy it from a dispensary, you know exactly where you're coming from, you know exactly what you're going to experience, you know exactly like where terpenes are in it. So it's a lot safer in the end. What's your name? Roy. What are you doing right now? I mean, it's perfectly legal, right? Of course it's legal. Just smoking up a bone. Well, why are you waiting online? You look like a guy who knows where to get I sure do. I want to see if they got anything even close to as good. What's that? They, I, they, I hear they don't have concentrates. They only got vapes. So you're looking for other types of weed and stuff? High-end, high-end. They have them in California, so eventually New York will have to follow, just like we're doing with the, the regular weed. Do you have a name? You want to use your name? Johnny Waz. I think it's pretty like cool to be able to do so. I'm from California, so this isn't... This is like, no, no. <laughs> but it's it's new to be able to do that in New York City. So I'm just, you know, looking to see what kind of products that they have, what they have to like offer, and just yeah, it's for the experience. And I think it's a it's an awesome thing. It's about time. Like New York has like been lagging, you know. So yeah. Great, thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Irene. Yeah. Don't run that bike. Come here, in New, in New York. We we'll get high, been high, and stay high. Oh, crazy! Do it. What's Instagram? Well, I'm a, desi I'm a designer, I'm a creative, um, my name's Please Look At My A-S, Please Look At My Ass on Instagram. My name's Ari Serrano, though, and I just made this with my friend High Priority NYC. 
um, and it's a bong hat. So it's a hat that's a bong. Yeah, so I could ride a bike, I could play video games, and I don't have to worry about holding the joint in my hand. It sort of looks like Norman. Yeah, I'm with uh, BagsGab.com. I'm throwing a 40-day New York City pot party, April 28th through June 6th. It's adorable watching. This gentleman has a good description of the. The energy is wonderful. It's Everyone hysterical. is just so excited and so happy. It's just, it's been, it's been worth it just to come stand here for a while. Actually, yeah. we've seen a lot of promotions, like a lot of sort of merch has been demonstrated. We've gotten a lot of free giveaways, and yeah. yeah. Everybody on this line seems like somebody knows where to get weed. These are all equity licenses, so that's it's. They're going to be profits that are going to have. In this case, the housing works, and all the other dispensary licenses has have been equity licenses. So that's, that's something like really special that New York has done. And I, for one, I'm so glad that my money is going to. Uh, a good cause that I know about and not some random cartel in another country. So, What's your name? My name's Jessica. Jessica During a packed news conference earlier in the day, some of the politicians most responsible for getting marijuana legalized spoke about the often lonely struggle to change entrenched drug laws. State Senator Liz Kruger introduced her bill to legalize pot almost a decade ago. She says 50,000 people, almost all people of color, were arrested every year in New York City because of the pot laws although white people use weed at the same rate. It's not about whether you're going to use it or not. It's about whether people who want to can do so without facing a criminal record. And it's about opportunities for new entrepreneurs who may have been in the business illegally for decades. I've met people who their families have been in for generations, can actually now be legitimate business people and as a New York State legislator and as the finance chair, I have to say this, and we're going to get tax revenue. And as a state government, we need to draw in revenue to pay for the important programs and services for everyone. So I don't want us overtaxing anyone, and I think we have to be careful about that as this new product group evolves and businesses start. But this is a win-win-win for the state, for the city, for communities, and for people and their families, whether or not they ever want to use cannabis. So I'm just so proud to be part of this. I'm so confident that everyone who said, you'll never get it done, you'll never get it done right, you'll never succeed at the social equity center of your goals. It's all gonna just be owned by Coke and Pepsi in 10 minutes. They are wrong. We are right. State Senator Liz Kruger. With many more cannabis licenses to be granted throughout the state, the resulting tax income in a time of tight budgets has both Mayor Eric Adams and Governor Kathy Hochul salivating. It's also a potential small business boom, and the city says it's ready. The Sheeta Dawson is head of Cannabis NYC. Initially, focusing on opportunities in entrepreneurship and economic development and prioritizing marginalized communities harmed from decades of poor policies, Cannabis NYC will continue to rapidly create and curate cannabis-specific resources and business services for all New Yorkers interested in education, entrepreneurship, and beyond. Now, as we continue to build this legal industry, Cannabis NYC is also here to offer support and what I call the necessary education to successfully complete this mission. The city will continue collaborating with the state to ensure an equitable cannabis industry is centered on restorative justice and economic recovery, while also ensuring public health and safety are protected. 
but equity must be protected also. So Cannabis NYC will also ensure that government accountability to repair the social, economic, environmental, and human injuries caused by prohibition is not derailed by entrenched stigmas and misinformation. Today's historic step and the opening is just one small step with many, many more to come. It's actually bigger than the dispensary. It's much bigger. Ultimately, cannabis is a plant with agricultural, industrial, nutritional, medical, and even spiritual utilities that will impact nearly every industry. Dashita Dawson is head of Cannabis NYC. East Village Council member Carlina Rivera, an outspoken supporter and user of cannabis herself, was among the first buyers Thursday morning. She held up a yellow bag of gummies after a speech welcoming the pot shop to the neighborhood. I've been waiting since I was a teenager. <laughs> this is a historic step away from criminalization and stigma by giving entrepreneurs and organizations new opportunities in the financial capital of the world in the greatest city on earth. We are going to make money for our state and we are going to do that in a way that is fair and transparent and you have our commitment on that. And as nonprofit stewardship, it's gonna mean that the revenue is gonna go directly into social services, and you've heard a little bit about that. Education, community services, drug treatment programs. I know my partnership right here in Council District 2 with Housing Works is already really, really significant and important in how we serve people from historically marginalized communities. East Village Council member Carlina Rivera. Despite state legalization, cannabis remains under a cloud. It's a Schedule One drug to the federal government, putting grass in the same legal drug category as fentanyl or heroin. Therefore, federally regulated banks won't take money from a dispensary. Housing Works CEO says feds have complicated simple tasks, like paying their federal taxes. It is now legal to buy cannabis. It is also legal to consume. You can smoke a joint right here on the street. Um, that's what's new. Um, what This is the first legal retail store at which people can purchase. Uh, up until now, you could only purchase through an illegal shop um, unless you were buying medicinal cannabis. So this is the first uh, opportunity for people to purchase cannabis in a legal manner. And only cash today? Only cash today. Um, we should have our system set up in the next week that will allow us to take debit cards. Credit cards are federally regulated and because it is still illegal, to sell cannabis on the federal level. We're not able to accept credit cards. We also can't do business with any federally licensed bank. We're doing business with a state licensed bank. There is state tax, there's a city tax, and there's a heightened federal tax because since it's a Schedule One drug, we don't have the same deductions. Back in the 80s, I believe, there was uh, litigation over this. Very uh, well-known cocaine importer was convicted. Then the IRS came after him, as the IRS is wont to do. And so he was in prison. He said, sure, I'll file my taxes. And he took all of the standard deductions uh, that the federal tax regulation allow. The IRS said, you can't take standard deductions on an illegal product. He went to the Supreme Court. He won at the Supreme Court. And so Congress passed a law limiting the deductions one can take for sale of an illegal product. Our agenda is decriminalization of possession of any drugs. And for people with opioids, we want to see safe supply. We want people to have access to what they need. 
Housing Works CEO Charlie King. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer of New York has introduced a bill to reschedule marijuana at the federal level, but has little chances of winning the 60 votes in the Senate chamber necessary for major legislation to pass. Nevertheless, State Senator Liz Kruger says the complications and curveballs are worth the effort. It was crazy. Um, and I'm serious, I don't know that my chief of staff, Brad, and I, more meetings with people on development of that bill than any other issue I've worked on in 20 years in the legislature. And yet, you have so many states, including so many red states, who have legal marijuana, and you have quite a few ex-Republican officials who have gone into the cannabis business, that it doesn't really fall out on partisan lines. How dare you reward people who broke the law, whether it's good or not? Yes, I have gotten that question from Republican colleagues here in New York State. And I said, well, the law was wrong all those years. And if we convicted them of something, they've obviously already done their time and paid the price. And very rarely in life do we say, if you once had a problem and you did your time, you never get to be a worker or a business owner again. So I don't see why we wouldn't allow it here. And then I've also been told, well, liquor licenses you can't get if you previously had a conviction. I go, that's not true. You get a lawyer, you go to court, you get an exception, you get your liquor license. It's not true that this is not relatively parallel to almost any other business you might go into. If you light up a joint in my district on 86th Street and you're white, nothing's going to happen to you. If you were black and you lit up that joint on 86th Street or 125th Street, they bring you in, give you a desk warrant, and you start to build a criminal record. And it's been true forever. Um, and that's and again, the numbers I quoted when I got up there, 50,000 black and brown kids each and every year for a couple of joints. That's insane. State Senator Liz Kruger. Meanwhile, Thursday evening, a long-haired young man was moved by the day's festivities. He lit up a joint. Oh, I was just walking down the street and I randomly uh, saw what was going on and I decided to roll up a joint. <laughs> I, uh, it's it's kind of crazy. It's, what is this, the first dispensary? Yeah, someone tricked me like a couple months ago. They told me the first dispensary opened up over there, like uh, a couple blocks down by uh, St. Mark's. I feel like if you, if with any product, it, you, uh, the cons it's on the consumer to like know what, what they're getting. When I get my weed, anywhere I go, I know what I'm getting. I know what it smells like, and I know what it looks like. You can't trick me, you know what I mean? So I don't care if the government is approving it or not. I'll find what I, I'll find what I want, you know. And you're listening to the news from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. And more news from the Lower East Side. A century-old abandoned school, once a thriving community center known as Charas El Bohio on 9th Street, east of Avenue B, in the neighborhood known as Lower Sida, is looking towards a new lease on life. A press release from members of Save Our Community Center says the building's owner for more than two decades, Greg Singer, defaulted on his mortgage. 
and the property has been foreclosed. Singer purchased the building in 1998 for more than $3 million and now belongs to a mortgage company and could be auctioned in 90 days. The news comes a few days after a rally was held to save the building. A longtime resident and activist working to return Charis to his role as a community center is Elizabeth Ruff Maldonado. The founders of co-founders of Charas, who were youth of Puerto Rican heritage, who came into the building, refurbished it with sweat equity, made it an art center. I came to New York a few years after that. I was like early 80s, like 81. Well, I came in 79, but by the time I was rehearsing here and doing everything here from Cuba work, Nicaragua work, theater, dance, Afro-Brazilian martial arts, capoeira, everything was going on in this building, youth programs, had my daughter, you know, she's involved. So all these things are going on with the community. Um, Dozens, I think there were 50 artist studios in here, but they weren't the only ones benefiting because the whole community benefited from this art. What was the, the crime? The rule is that you're not supposed to do anything that doesn't enrich somebody else. Nothing for purely the sake of human activity and to togetherness. So that, I guess, is, is the crime. And then Giuliani was mayor. The more active and the more community togetherness was going on there, the more they were targeted by Giuliani. An early view of what Mayor Giuliani has become now. Oh, People know, were watching they, this, they would have known. Yeah, they would have known. So in 1998, the Charas was put on the auction block. They had actually raised money to actually buy their building outright. Some centers, Clemente Soto Velez was su successful in controlling the building and making it a vibrant arts center, whereas Charas was sold to the highest bidder. So in 1998, it was put in the auction block. An activist got together and released crickets into the auction. The auctioneers and everybody were like freaked out and started jumping about and they canceled the auction for the day, but of course, eventually it was sold to Greg Singer for about $3 million. Less than half of that was his own money, and the rest, I think, was financed by the city. So he got this building for $3 million. The deed of sale stipulated that it had to be a community use facility. At first, he was trying to find a way to prove that it was community use, so trying to make it into a high-rise dorm, in which case we leapt into action, landmark the building, so the building could not be torn down and built on top of into a tower of nonsense, you know, which people are... We might have the ear of somebody who might be more community friendly in order to realize and see that this community needs to be a community space. Otherwise, if there is no justice, there will be no peace here because the community is never going to let go of this building. It's got to be, listen, we've got salsa right here. It's going to be, it's going to be a place where you can have live music and, and um, people making art together. Elizabeth Ruff Maldonado, a local resident, and folks gathered outside an entrance to the building where they danced to salsa. And that's some of the news for Friday morning, December 30th, 2022. The news was produced by this reporter. You can find the news at pauldirienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.